Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Clay, Pastor Lynn, our worship team. Don't they do a great job? Absolutely. So, so thankful for them, how they lead our our worship ministry. And I'm excited to be here with you today. If I have not met you, my name is Cody. I'm the associate pastor here. Pastor John is not here today. Uh, Be praying for him and his family that they would just have a great time with one another and what the Lord is doing through them where they are at right now. Um, They are at Camp War Eagle, and they are going to serve there this week, have some fun with their kids, and also minister. Uh, Dr. Tara Venable is going to be the camp nurse this week, so be praying for them, their ministry there, that they have a great time, that God uses them greatly, and that they have a great time just to be refreshed, recharged, and come back ready for what God is going to do. Well, I'm here with you today, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 18 together. We're going to start and close today with the same question, which mountain will you choose? I don't know about you, but I've had some days in my life where I felt a little bit shook, a little bit of shaking going on, especially with kids the age that they are in my house. And I've only got two. I don't see how the other guys do it with four in their house, but the two is enough to shake me. Uh, But this weekend, for instance, I was looking over the message yesterday, and our pool decided to begin emptying itself into the neighbor's yard. Uh, My kid got sick all of a sudden, and the smoke alarm started going off. And so it was a great day to study God's Word and prepare. And uh, some days we have days like that where it seems the world is just turning upside down on us. But in all reality, we look at what VolcanoDiscovery.com says, and it reports that our earth shakes and trembles 385,073 times. That's how many earthquakes there were last year in 2021. Our earth literally hangs in space, rotating on its axis, shaking and trembling. Let's read our text today and let's discover why this is. Starting in verse 18, you can stand with me as we read God's word today, standing upon his promise. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray as we open this text this morning. So, Father, we stand upon your truth. God, we're we're desperate, Lord, to see you, God, to hear from your word. So we ask you to teach us. God, we're dependent not upon our own, but Lord, your spirit, God, your power. We confess that it's not us, but you who needs to do the work. And God, we are just desiring one more person 
Lord, today would open their hearts and minds, Lord, hear the gospel and respond, repent, and be saved. Lord, we love you so much. We're thankful for this church. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. There is this shaking that is happening all over the world. It is trembling. It is shaking. And that's no surprise when we read Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23, says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, here's where it is, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. The whole world is shaking because the whole world has fallen. All of creation longs for the return of the King. All of creation is headed towards destruction and chaos and a consuming fire that is our God. You didn't know you were going to get an encouraging word today, did you? But I promise it's good news for those who believe who are redeemed. The whole earth is shaking and trembling. And the word of God tells us that it's for a purpose. That God will destroy everything. Verses 26 and 27 in our text tell us a little about what God is doing here. It says in verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. This text is derived out of Haggai chapter 2. And what God is trying to tell us is that there is a day of the Lord that is coming. There is a day of the Lord that is coming when the Lord will judge all of creation. And this must take place. So that those things which are shaken may be removed. There's a lot of scripture that points to what this day of the Lord is. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. But Isaiah chapter 13 verses 6 through 13 gives us a picture of what this day will look like. Starting in verse 6 says, Well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will, be, they will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. What a day the day of the Lord will be. Isaiah chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. I want to read that also very quickly. It says, Behold, the, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. All people will be equal. 
when it comes to the judgment of God. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth lament. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, what we talked about, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. The day of the Lord. If you read the Bible, you see that there is a great event that's going to take place. Revelation really lays this out for us. Talks about the seven plagues and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls and all the seven seals. And it's this rapid fire judgment where literally will nothing will be left that was created. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The Bible literally says that the heavens will catch fire and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Why? Why would God look at all of creation and destroy it completely? And I love that God tells us, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Church, can I tell you that there is coming a day where sin will have no more hold, where sin will not have a presence. There is a glorious day when God will establish his kingdom. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all the redeemed, we break out in praise because of that. Why? Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you are in Jesus Christ, you will not be shaken. You will remain. You will endure. Yes, your body may pass away, but you will live forever. Everything will be destroyed. Everything will be taken away. This is the Lord's word. And he says in 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, what are we doing? We're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which what? The righteousness dwells. The new heaven, the new earth must come, so God has to destroy everything that was created, much like the flood, but this time with a fire. And this time, not only the earth, the planet, but all of creation will be utterly destroyed so that evil will be gone forever. And only the righteous shall remain. What are we to do with this? What are we to do with the shaking of our world? What do we do with this word this morning? How can we possibly stand firm? How can we possibly know that when the shaking comes in life, when the Lord destroys everything, how can we know that we will not be shaken out, that we will remain? I love the writer of Hebrews in this passage. It gives us two different pictures of mountains as analogies. We're going to look today and look at the question, which mountain will you choose? The first mountain is a mountain of terror. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, back into our text. And basically what's happened here is he's giving us a picture of whenever the Israelites had fled from Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and God said, I'm going to give you my commandments. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. You're going to come to the mountain of Sinai. You're going to do all these things I tell you to do. I'm going to give you the law, and you're going to follow it, and you're going to keep this covenant. So let's read what this mountain of terror looks like. Starting in verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. You see, there's a mountain that God has in the Old Testament where he took his Israelites out into the wilderness and said, this is what you're going to do. 
You're never going to use my name in vain. You're never going to have any other idols. You're not going to be an adult. You're not going to steal. The Ten Commandments, you guys know them, as he lists them in Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments he gives, and then another like 683 or so, uh, different statues for them to keep and do things in the tabernacle and the priesthood and the service that they are and the sacrifices that they have. And he sets up this incredible system where they're going to go and they're going to kill animals and give uh, offerings of fruit and grain of the best kind, and that's going to temporarily just suffice the wrath of God so that they can have some sort of relationship with him. And I just want you to picture this day. We think this is a day of glory and incredibleness and that you might want to be there, but you don't want to be there. You don't want to go to that mountain. This mountain was so incredible that it says thunder broke out. There was a boom. There was darkness. There was an incredible storm that arose. The voice of God was so powerful that it said, please don't speak anymore. Moses, the man of God who had led them from everything, who had done everything for God, said, I tremble greatly with fear. Such is the holiness of our God, the righteousness of our God, that he would tell them, don't come near the mountain because my holiness cannot be corrupted with sin. Because my holiness cannot be in the presence of sin. He loved them in so much a way to say, hey, you know what you're going to do? You're going to build a fence around the mountain. You're not going to let anything touch it or anybody touch it. In fact, if someone touches this, an animal or a person, you've got to kill them. That is the holiness of God. In fact, if, if they come, they approach it, you've got to kill them, and you can't even touch them. You've got to stone them or shoot them with an arrow. You can't get near me because I am God, the one and only living God. And you're going to keep these statutes and commandments. There's a mountain of terror that God came down, spoke his law. And can I tell you, the law is just death. Because none of us could keep it. One sin was enough to separate mankind for all eternity from God. One sin. If there's one sin in our hearts, if we can't keep the law perfectly, then we see separation from God. That's what the, this is what the mountain of Sinai was. It was to show us our separation. It was to show us sin, that that had to be paid for and sufficed. So God sits down on a mountain. It, it trembles, it quakes, it shakes, literally, the people that are there. It's a mountain of terror. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what it is permanent have glory. Here's what God's saying. Here is the law. You have to be perfect. You have to be sinless to approach me. It's a ministry of death that Moses had. And he simply played the moderator at this mountain of terror. And so the question for us is, if we see that there is a mountain of terror, that, that God is so holy, that God is so perfect, he's so righteous. Yes, he's merciful and gracious, but we see all of who God is, not just the parts we want to the parts of God that we see that are all of who he is, that we can't come near him because of sin in our hearts. What are we going to do when we stand before God with our sin? That's the question we have to ask ourselves when we look at these mountains. Are we going to come to God and say, God, I think I'm a good person. God, I've got a mountain of good works. 
This is the mountain of terror, but I've got a mountain of things. I've been kind. I've done things for people. God, look at my life as if there's some sort of scale. God, am I not good enough to go to heaven and be with you? And there is a brutally honest word that he tells us in Romans 3.19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's you and I. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What's he saying? The law shows us that we have nothing to speak to God. There's nothing in our own power, in our own selves, that we can do to get to God. Nothing. All that waits for us is a mountain of terror apart from Jesus Christ. I want you to understand the reality of that because if we choose Mount Sinai, the mountain you don't want to go to, all that waits for you is death. Eternal death. Church, we ought to break out in praise, though, because God said that's not the only mountain. There's another mountain. There's another mountain called Zion, where once again the earth would shake as Jesus gave his life for us. In fact, he says in his word in Matthew chapter 27, it says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him were there, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Church, are you thankful that there's another mountain? There's a mountain called Zion. It's not Mount Sinai. It's not the mountain of terror. It's the mountain of triumph. Back in our text in Hebrews 12, it talks a little bit about this. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We just sang about it. What are we going to do when we stand before God, when we die? All the earth is headed towards destruction. Our bodies will eventually pass away. What are we going to do when we stand before God, whenever every single religion says, hey, just enough good works, just enough good things, and I hope that it goes in my favor? The law says we have to shut our mouths and be silent because nothing we do in and of ourselves is good enough because God says that all of our best works are filthy rags. Because God says there is none righteous, no, not one. When we stand before God, we say the name of Jesus. We speak Jesus. I love that he shows us in, in Mount Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. And it's this, basically this idea that, that God's going to marry, right, the, the heavenly Jerusalem and earthly one, that God has made at his dwelling place. And I love that God said on Mount Zion, there's not an, a, a system of what you can earn and deserve, but it's about believing and receiving. Because what we earn and what we deserve is death and hell. But what we believe is the name of Jesus, the, the work that, that Christ has done on the cross, that he rose from the grave again, and we receive everlasting life. Why? Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. We come to Mount Zion, where once again we see it is the city of the living God. It's not a desert, not a desolate place. It is the living God that we get to be around. Not just his voice, 
Not just the thunders and booms, but his holiness. He says, hey, no longer are you at a distance, but because of Jesus, step in. Embrace me and I embrace you. Because of Jesus, we are chosen, we are adopted, we are called sons and daughters of the Most High. We are co-heirs with Christ, the firstborn of all creation. It's not a wilderness, not a desolate place, but it is the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. He says, come to me. Come to me. And who are we coming to? Coming to God. The same God who said, don't come near me, don't touch the mountain or you're going to die, now says, come to me. I'm still the judge, but I judge you righteous because of my son, Jesus. For while we were still yet enemies, Christ died for us. And we have become the righteousness of God. Do you understand how incredible and how good this is? You understand the good news of this, that the whole world is going to be destroyed, but yet we remain unshaken? What does that mean? It means every single thing in your life that you think is valuable and important and is worth something. If it's not in the kingdom of God, it means nothing. You want to look at your life, Christian, and say, man, why is my marriage shaking? Why is my family shaking? Why is my work shaking? Why are relationships shaking? Why is it all shaking? Is it in Jesus? Is it a part of his kingdom? Or is it just yours? Because all of our kingdoms will fall. It will be turned to nothing but dust and rust. But the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God will remain forever. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that Mount Zion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to Mount Sinai, that mountain of terror. Because here's the good news is that although Mount Sinai shows us our separation from God, Mount Zion shows us our salvation. It shows us who Jesus is. So I want you to understand how important this is when you choose which mountain you're going to go to today. Are you going to choose the cross or are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose your own good works, your own merit, your, your human goodness? And are you going to weigh that in the scale of the perfection of the holy God? Or are you going to put your trust in Jesus today? So Christians, what do we do with this? What are we supposed to do with this message? What are we supposed to do with knowing that we belong to Mount Zion, that we belong to God, that our names are enrolled in heaven, as the old song says, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. What are we to do with this, knowing that the judge of all counts us righteous as his son, to know that the spirits of the righteous made perfect, that's the old saints we just read about, whose faith was made righteous, the faith that they had, that they got to go to heaven because of faith, and to Jesus, the one who is the mediator of the new covenant. And here's how it all happens. It says that there's the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When we look at the blood of Abel, the sacrifice he had, God said, I'm pleased with this. He said, oh, but there's a better sacrifice. My son, Jesus. And it speaks a better word. He is the word. The blood of Abel, when he was killed as a martyr, cries out vengeance. Vengeance. Justice must be served. The blood of Jesus spilled cries out mercy. Justice has been served. Look at these two mountains. What are we to do with these mountains as Christians? What are we supposed to do? I love that God says, if you come to Mount Zion, here's how you come. Back in Hebrews chapter 12 again, verse 28. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Man, church, can we ask an honest question? When was the last time you were truly in reverence and awe of our God? 
And when's the last time that you truly, not just some sort of emotional feeling, but you truly said, my God is incredible. My God is mighty. When's the last time you broke out in praise and said, Hosanna in the highest is the name above every other name, the God who was and is and is to come, the great I am. To know the depths of his mercy, his love, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness. When's the last time you just sat in the presence of God and soaked it in? And said, God, I'm just in awe of you. God, the church misses reverence and awe a lot of times. If we don't have Jesus at the center of what we do today, we've missed everything. If we don't have awe and reverence, if we don't worship God with our everything, then why did we waste this day for all eternity? I love that one author says this. He says, one day lived without a spirit-filled life is a day that is gone for eternity. You can never get back. Man, church, what would happen if we began to worship God with reverence and awe? Not in fear and trembling because we can't touch God. Because if we touch the mountain, we're going to die. But instead, worship in awe and reverence because our God was able to save us. Because our God is able to sustain us. And God is our provider. He's our prince. He's our peace. He's our everything. What in your life do you need to speak the name of Jesus over today? Maybe it's you. I love that there's a warning also. He says, for those who are the redeemed. Man, we ought to be grateful because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Doesn't matter who's president. Doesn't matter who's running the country. Doesn't matter what wars happen. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter what cancer. Doesn't matter what's happening. What, what things are pulled away from us. We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Life, death, angels, created things, whatever it is, nothing can separate you from God. Part of Mount Zion. But what if we don't go to Mount Zion? What if we don't call upon the name of Jesus? What if we don't choose to do this and we go to Mount Sinai instead? The Bible speaks clearly in Hebrews 12, 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. The Bible clearly says there is no escape. Doesn't matter how strong we are, how smart we are, how talented we are how good looking we are, it doesn't matter. The Bible literally says that all of creation will be destroyed. That's you. It talks about in the Bible how on that day of terror that there'll be no escaping, that different things will happen and it'll take place where you try to run in a, in a cave and there will be something there. You try to run your house, there'll be something there. God will see to it that sin is paid for. As a believer, I choose to let Jesus do that. So I don't have to turn the wrath of God, but I can stand in his righteousness. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.